0: Welcome everybody, Burroughs and Burbs, episode 114, self-storage in real estate. And I've got three very special guests today. Oyvind Olstad, real estate broker from Oslo. I've got Gar, uh, uh, sorry, Gare Tellefson from Store, and Andy Egerton from Ready Steady Store coming to us today from Rotterdam, although he's ordinarily headquartered in Manchester, England. Before we begin, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Let's see if I can find them on the screen. There they are. Grace Farms Foods. You can find them at sharegracefarms.com where you can buy their drips. That's the coffee. The sips. That's their exotic teas. 100% of the profits go toward their uh, Design for Freedom initiative. Got that up on the screen now. Design for Freedom is all about cleaning up the Eliminating forced labor in the building material supply chain and creating true market transformation and building a more equitable future. So with that, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Roberto Cabrera, from headquarters York. on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Of Manhattan, center of the New world. York. <laughs> this show is Burroughs and Burbs. It always starts with the Burroughs of New York and we ask ourselves, what is interesting to New Yorkers? And at first when Oyvind brought up the topic of self-storage, I said, I don't know if that's a New York topic. I don't know if that's a suburbs topic. And I really don't know if that's a luxury market topic. But the more I dug into this, I asked the folks in my office, I said, do you think we ought to do self-storage? And they said, oh yeah, that's the fastest growing sector in real estate and every luxury market needs self-storage and everybody has a storage problem. So Roberto, what was your first reaction when you heard that we were going to do a show on self-storage?
1: My first gut reaction was, well, that's not very glamorous, but then I I started thinking about it. And even in my own life, I have a wife who has tremendous amount of clothing (laughs) And I mean, we really need like X, we need a lot of extra storage. And uh, I was thinking about some of my luxury clients. I have a client who's thinking about buying a small studio apartment to just make it a studio like closet for his wife. Um, And I mean, that's, that's big money. So, and, but I'm just curious to hear, and I'm really interested to hear is how this has all exploded and how it's evolving and what's next in this. Does this just continue to grow? Do we just like store a bunch of stuff? Why don't we just get rid of it?
0: <laughs> I was at I was at a conference yesterday and five of the top developers in South Florida were talking about their projects. They're talking about three and $4,000 a foot for luxury uh, at the Paragon, at the Bentley, at, at these fabulous new resorts that are going up. And they talked about amenities. And what's surprising to me is they talk about how um, uh, uh, the importance of amenities, and they didn't talk about storage. So if I can't rely on these developers to recognize that we have that it is one of the things that we must have, it's not a nice to have. It's a must-have. And in a place like and in a market like Palm Beach, where the cost of entry to get on the island is about $12 million, I think they have an acute storage problem in these luxury markets. So if I can't rely on these developers to talk to me <laughs> about the economics of storage, then I got to I gotta learn. lean on today's guests, Andy Egerton and Gare Tellefson, to tell me about the storage industry, where it is, the economics, and where it's going. So with that, let me turn it over to you, Gare. Tell us, where are you from?
2: but uh, John, you have to tell me i have to tell where i am first you know okay you start this is uh, really important because i'm in uh, in rotterdam rotterdam in europe uh-huh. uh, it's uh, on the, i'm on the um, uh, real uh, on the self storage fair for Fedesa, the association of uh, um, self storage for uh, europe and here it's uh, all the players for in the in this industry is the suppliers, it is the finance and it's uh, like platforms for um, different platforms for, um, for the self-storage industry. And that was, was my first question to Geir, because uh, bringing me over to Geir, because uh, he has something he wants to tell us about in, uh, because his platform is one of the, the most uh, state-of-the-art uh, platforms. I, I like him to tell us a little bit about uh, digitalization in the, in this industry, in the start. What's so, so important you're at
0: the trade show, and that's yeah. where people are learning about state-of-the-art, and you're saying Gare can talk to us about a state-of-the-art yeah. self-storage platform. Exactly. Okay, go that's ahead, Gare.
3: Thank you, John. Great to be here. Huh? Thank you for inviting. Uh, so, but I'll answer your question first about the self-storage, huh? because it's fascinating every time I've been pitching for investors in self-storage. Very few, very few in the whole population understand seller storage because it's actually something we only use when we need it. There's little or no brand recognition. You kind of, you have an acute need. You get divorced, somebody dies, something happened in your life and you need storage tomorrow. And that's how 95% of the customers get used to this industry. That's how they get introduced to it. They Google storage, what's closest to me? And, and that's, that's a, the story has been like that for like 40 years. It's a very traditional industry. It started in the U.S., of course. Today, one out of 10 households in the U.S. has a self-storage unit that he rents. It has grown steadily 3.5% over the last 20 years, every year. It's a, like a fascinating growth uh, aspect with this industry. And strangely enough, it doesn't seem to stop. Uh, Europe is about one-third. Of the, U of the U.S., but it seems to have the same uh, same growth as, uh, as the U.S. just started later. Um, so, um, you know, so the general self-storage industry is a very conservative one. So they have had a good time over a very, very long time. And from a, like an owner point of view, it has not really been necessary to innovate. You could just do what you did last year and the money is rolling in because everyone has 95% occupancy. When somebody moves out, you have a waiting list for those that are moving in. That is the general kind of uh, understanding of the industry. Of course, you open up a huge facility. It takes years till you are in that level. But when you're there, it's normally very stable. So what I found when I wanted to enter this industry is that I look for like a A safe kind of property investment, and I thought, okay, I'll do some self storage. That's an easy way to go. But like you, John, I had never been in self storage before. I've actually never rented a self storage unit. One of the few, but I want to invest in it. And but what I found was an industry that was like you know everybody thought it was 1985. They were still running this old-fashioned Windows program, and the matrix printer was going in the in the background. It's uh, they. Most of the industry thinks that sell the storage is a hotel industry. That you know that the customer cares if it's like the unit number fifteen or twenty five they get. So we thought that was odd, you know, coming from the sideline. Why is why is it like that? So instead of doing property investment, I ended up making a a, process, a kind of a a pitch to develop a new operator model and to dramatically decrease the uh, the opex and kind of make it easier, <laughs> make it easier to uh, to be a customer. And that's kind of what we made. We made a complete digital platform that makes it easy to book, like in like, your know, Airbnb or Uber, and then you get immediately access to the facilities with digital keys and so on. So you don't need to interact with any people, 24-hour service. And that has made it possible for us to grow very fast. Is it so, fair to say that I didn't, in the old...
0: St- old school, stage one, uh, self-storage industry went to places where the land was cheap. And if I put up a cheap building on a cheap piece of land, it didn't matter if I ran my business efficiently. That's what you're talking about, old school. But as the cost of land on Manhattan or Palm Beach or any of these luxury markets went up, you're saying it became incumbent on the self, on some some of you who wanted to play in the luxury markets to figure out how to wring more efficiency out of because if you're paying a hundred dollars a foot for the land, let's say, or or for the for well for the real estate hundred dollars a foot or more, then all of a sudden every point of efficiency counts.
3: Is that fair? Absolutely, and. Uh... You know, in the U.S. today, you will go around and you will see that 90% of the facilities are manned. So there's actually physical people working in the reception. And like we all know, it's not particularly cheap with salaries these days. So it, it makes a big difference when you, you're cut down on the, on the capacity of uh, or personnel. So what it does uh, changed kind of the dynamic because it used to be that you needed about... Uh, uh, 5,000 square meter or 50,000 square foot to make sense in the self-storage. That's like where the weeds are starting and then up to three times that size. But when we digitized it, we saw that we had the same profit margins all the way down to 5,000 square foot. There was no really a difference. So that made it possible for us to go into multi-tenanted properties and then, you know, help the property owner, you know, with like a basement or like a non-performing office that uh, is expensive to upgrade or similar. And then we put in self-storage there and put it straight onto our platform.
1: Is the automation and the innovation that you're doing, is it from an investment standpoint on your end? But, but is it also for the consumer as well?
3: Mm. It's uh, So what we have is a kind of like an end-to-end solution. So we work together with property owners that typically have a part of their multi-tenanted property is a problem so it's a 10,000 square foot basement that they haven't rented out in years we come in and we kit that out with self-storage high-end self-storage like you see in my background uh, which is fully automated and we connect this to also to the normal entrance doors elevators etc so in the app you can access this directly the unit that you have rented We have digitized all processes, we do digital ID check in the app, we do full credit check and then we also get higher quality on our customers. So this is in a normal self-storage environment, you not only have high opex, but you also have a customer journey that is not very good because it often takes you between one and three days for them to approve you as a customer. So you have to go in. Somebody is showing you around, like if this was a hotel, then you get a big credit app application on two pages that you need to fill in and tell you about your your daughter and your salaries and God knows what. Uh, and then they will fax that, I'm sure, or they will scan it, I don't know. And then uh, you get the answer the following day and you, you are most welcome to come and please remember to bring your padlock. Uh, While, well, you know- fax. he brought, he like, brought up fax. <laughs> on the hard side, if this takes never more than three minutes from you see the Google ad till you can open up your uh, your units and then we have vetted you on the way. we have credit checked you and you have even paid. So so that's that's a big difference. So you that,
0: so is that your uh, is that Flex store? is that your unique selling proposition that you can help? Uh, property developers, owners of multi-tenant buildings um, get ring profit out of the least valuable parts of their buildings.
3: Absolutely. And we have two as important customers. You know, the end customer, your luxury property owner that need a great secure place to to store their stuff. You know, we have like the, there are nothing over us in the qualities. We are premium priced. But uh, you know the other customer is the property owner, and both of them are just as important for us.
0: You know, I watched a uh, uh, on the real the real deal is the new, real estate newspaper in New York, and uh, they featured this morning on social media uh, Barry Sternlicht of Starwood Capital on a panel yesterday talking about commercial real estate, and he said, "I'm bullish on commercial real estate's pro- prospects." for the the foreseeable future, for the next several years. Uh, We we certainly cannot build enough housing uh, in America, in Europe, anywhere. But he said, with one exception, and that's office space. So I'm wondering, you you talked about uh, repurposing basements, but I'm wondering whether your solution is uh, being applied to the glut of office space, on the market that we hear about in these headlines. San Francisco has a problem, New York's got a problem. Um, I wonder if you're turning your attention uh, to o- the office space glut and whether self-storage economics works in some of those spaces.
3: So so we do that. Uh, so in Oslo, we have several uh, office location. We also have that in South Africa. Um, we're... You know, the, the property owner, he must adjust his expectations. You know, we, you don't get A AAA rent from self-storage. Nobody wants to pay that. But it's a hell of a lot better than not having revenue. And, and often it's the case that this where we go in is not on AAA office property. It's like C-grade property. And uh, in Western countries, like in Europe now, the quality of the aircon system, and all the facility just to get them up on that B level is so high that the uh, alternative is just to put in self storage. And uh, you know when you calculate that over 20 years, there's no doubt what is the most profitable. So even in a very nice building, just because you actually need to redo this the office that was built 20 years ago, and you compare that to it when I put in self storage, I get slightly less rent, but uh, you know the bottom line is much easier. And there's something about it is like. You know, in 10,000 square foot, we have typically 150 clients and it's not like 150 clients leave that same day. So you have very little risk on your revenue. So when they start rolling, it will be the same. It's not like when you have a normal tenant, he goes bankrupt and then the whole place stays empty for six months and you have to pay tenant installation and so forth.
1: In some of these places that you're talking about, is there a, um, like here, there's tax, there's ta- different taxation for different types of buildings and different types of usage. If you change mm-hmm. that usage, are there instances where you can reduce like a tax and therefore mm-hmm. you're, so therefore you're increasing your, your profit margin? Absolutely. Okay. And uh, also for, just from, from a standpoint of when you said you get less rent, obviously your expenses are also less too, but when you get less rent, so your profitability, your, you're not getting your triple a profit but you're getting what would you percentage wise just generally you're getting 85% of what you normally would
3: get much less more and if you compare it to a b grade office space cuz that's where we go in we don't really go in for AAA office space uh on b grade you get like uh, 85 90% that's good yeah uh, all
0: right I'm sharing the screen. I just wanted to pull up uh, Gare's uh, page on LinkedIn and he's he's holding a very small box because I I guess what I'm hearing you say is you can be profitable at the very small and at the very large scale. But I wanted to move on to uh, Andy, Andy Egerton. And this is a picture of Andy and his LinkedIn page. And behind him is a typical ready steady store, which I understand from Andy is top 10 in the UK uh, with 23 sites. So Andy, tell us about Ready Steady Store and what niche they fit in
4: the market. So we, um, yeah, thank you for introducing me. Uh, yeah, we we are, um, or certainly have been a very traditional self-storage company. So I think you'd asked me earlier what, um, what it is that most self-storage people want and, and generally you want Uh, in the UK somewhere between 40 to 50,000 square foot of space that you can let in a building Um, and the traditional is you know roadside lots of traffic going past um, you know uh, industrial estates or or on the way into a city centre so we have sites in you know the big cities Manchester and Leeds and we have had some in London Actually, it's very difficult to do that these days because everybody wants to do self-storage and everybody goes for the same bits of land, the same buildings, the same you know acre of land uh, that, that may be there in Manchester. So obviously the prices go up, the very big storage companies or the big investors will purchase those um, and it actually becomes a very difficult market to get into. And I guess the challenge with doing it that way as well is if you're you know, in your Palm Beach example you're not going to find an acre of land in Palm Beach to stick a self-storage site on. What you might find, and I don't know Palm Beach very well, but what you might find more an office building, which is right near where people live and have these very expensive houses, that, you know, in, in Gare's model, you can actually now, with, with not needing three members of staff per site, you can have very small sites that the economics stack up on. So certainly for us, you know, there's the, an the interest now in going for the smaller stores that might be in towns that couldn't sustain a very large uh, store where you'd need eight, 900 customers, but could sustain where you need 100 to 150 customers. So again, I think the technology that, that Gare's been talking about is something that will bring storage closer to the people who want it. So you've not got to do that drive of five miles, 10 miles, wherever it is to, to get to storage. And, and that you know certainly I, I spend a lot of time uh in London as well and you know it, it, again if you're in London um I don't know if you've, you've been but it, it can take to, to drive a mile across London can take you three hours so really you don't even want a, a storage center a mile away you want a storage center on your doorstep and I think again you know repurposing buildings repurposing the office space looking at underground car parks you know that's certainly a way now that that I think the some of the industry is is looking to go, um, and you know that's certainly something that we're considering.
1: How are so you? Can ringing? you give me an example? Sorry, can I just get an example of a place in London that you're talking
4: about? Like, what would be the size of it? So we we had um, we we managed one uh, fairly recently. We had an underground car park in Camden in London. Um, I don't know if you know Camden, it's quite famous for music, but I'm not sure it's that famous for self-storage. Um, but that was probably about 15,000 square foot of net lettable space in there. So it was a car park underneath an office block, uh, sorry, a housing uh, block. And yeah, it, it again, because it was very close to lots of people. So a lot of, you know, London is high rise flats and high rise apartments and, you know, some of them are. Very expensive, you know, multi-million pound apartments. But you know what? What suddenly happened during, say, the COVID times is during lockdown, people living in apartments didn't want that clutter. So you know, it suddenly became that you know, if you can get out and you can go for a walk, you can go for a run, you spend time at the theatre or the cinema or wherever, you don't mind the clutter at home. During COVID, everybody thought, well, actually, no, I don't. want all of this at home i want to free up that room so i can put a treadmill in there or whatever it may be so they would go in and take storage and you know the, the strange thing about covid in particular was that was probably the biggest boom that the self storage industry has ever had it you know it absolutely blew gays uh, sort of 3 4% out the window and we were seeing you know many multiples of that over over that time so again i think why people use self storage changes quite a lot You know, certainly in this economic cycle at the moment, we're we're finding people using it for different reasons, but there's always a reason people to use it.
1: Did the pricing escalate during that time period, too, just out of supply and demand?
4: It did. Yeah, it did. Just because I think we all pretty much all of us ran out of space. And that was, um, you know, again, I think it says that despite the fact that as saying, you know, there's been massive growth in the industry, we're still way uh you know a long way away from saturation and i think there's you know we can have again many multiples of the amount of storage we've got certainly in europe um you know that it, it will people will still come so i think it's uh, yeah if we build it people will still use it
1: so the primary growth the primary driver
4: of growth
1: is the expansion of just more space being needed
4: I think that's that. Yeah. And I think we're certainly seeing in the UK and I'm not sure what it's like across uh, the states, but it tends to be now that they're building smaller houses and they're building smaller houses with less storage space. There's less loft space. There's less cupboard space. So, again, you know, certainly we have a couple of stores in Manchester um, and in Manchester, there's some really, really nice luxury flats being built, or luxury apartments. And, you know, in those apartments, there is no storage space. So if you're spending, you know, a million pounds on an apartment, which has two bedrooms, you know, actually spending 100, 200 pounds a month on storage is is nothing in comparison. So, you know, and again, the difference, you know, in price to actually buy the apartment with more storage is considerably more than buying or or renting a storage space. I think
0: I'm an example of that. My mother uh, moved from a 3000 foot townhouse. When my father died, she said, this is too much space for me. And she downsized from 3000 feet to 900 feet. And I said, what are you going to do with all your stuff? She bought a self-storage unit and it's probably three miles down the road in the next town. And I say, how do you use it, mom? And she said, well, at first it was all the stuff that I needed to go through family photos and other things, Christmas ornaments that I wasn't prepared to get rid of yet. I think she's purged uh, each year, purges. But I said, when are you gonna get rid of your self-storage? And she said, you know, I don't think I ever will because I've found that I can put my winter clothes there for half the year and then I go every six months and I pull out my winter clothes and I put in my summer clothes. So she's finding a way to live in a smaller apartment because she's using her self-storage efficiently. And I think that she's probably typical. Are you finding a difference in behaviors between, say, the millennials, the seven? We have 70 million millennials in America. We have about 65 million baby boomers in America. That's a typical baby boomer who's downsizing into a smaller apartment and needing self-storage. Talk to me about the different demographic slices of the market for you.
4: It, it it's incredibly varied and it changes depending on where we're at with the economic cycle. So you'll find that a lot of the millennials at the moment will be potentially renting apartments. And in the UK, there's a, a there's not enough uh, supply of rental properties. So. Uh, the landlords are price gouging and, you know, you're getting some pretty huge increases in rent at a time when inflation's high and, and so on. So a lot of people are actually saying, actually, I can't afford to rent and moving back in with parents. So what tends to happen, you know, even in their 30s, they're actually going back to the family home. Then potentially they're, you know, either they're storing or their parents have got to put their stuff in storage to free up the spare room. So, you know, that's something that we tend to see in, in you know, in times of sort of high inflation. It's technically not a recession when in the UK, but it certainly feels like it. Um, so that's sort of one use case. I would say that around 50% of our customers are, they just stay, they just stay forever. Um, around 50% of the customers are using us for life events. So whether it's moving house, it's. You know, somebody's uh, death in the family, uh, birth, you know, divorce is, is um, unfortunately surprisingly common reason for people using storage. So it, it really does vary. And, you know, if you ask me in a year's time, what has changed, uh, you know, what the demographic is, it will actually be very different to what it is now. And now is very different to what it's been for the last two years. And I think certainly what we've found is, is, you know, three years ago, people were taking much larger rooms because they were more moving house. Now it tends to be people are taking smaller rooms. And I think it's, you know, people downsizing a house is the same as your mother did. You know, it's it's saying, well, why have this big house? I might as well have a smaller house, but I don't want to let go of, you know, family heirlooms. Even if it's just furniture that you'll never use again. Letting go of that is is not always easy. So... I I think, you know, there's sort of a perception that the millennials won't have as much stuff and won't have as much need for storage. Um, I don't think we're seeing that. I I think people have stuff and they quite often need somewhere to put it. And I don't think it's different anywhere in the world. I don't think it matters where you are. People have more stuff than they have space.
1: It, It strikes me that you guys have a tremendous responsibility to make sure that all of all these items are cared for, that they're protected. is your insurance just off the charts expensive?
4: Not not really it, because generally most self storage places you know we do lots of checks on them. you make sure that your roof's not leaking, you make sure you know all, all the usual things you do in a building that mean that you know for ninety-nine point nine percent of people, they will put their stuff into storage, they will come to get it, whether it's three months later or three years later, and everything's still where it was, it's in the same condition. You know, uh, but
0: many- but when Bear takes over the basement in Roberto's building, then he doesn't control the roof. He doesn't control the fact that Roberto might have a pipe burst and all that water goes down to the basement. So Talk to me about the changing dynamic of insurance as we move into the new era of self-storage, where we're repurposing existing spaces.
3: So do I you want to Yes, sure. Uh, so I think the, this is a valid point. Huh? So what we have done is that we, you know, we use utilize technology everywhere we can. So we have, a, of course, everything under camera surveillance. Like everything we do is under surveillance, and we have an AI operated camera. So we only look at what's important for us. If there are things that are out of order, it will automatically be fed into the customer service center. And then on top of that, in every lock we have, there's a humidity sensor. So when that humidity is increasing with 5%, there's an alarm going off on the customer service center. And we are, with all exception, the first tenant in the building that knows that something is wrong. And that includes people that have offices or residential or whatever it is. Is always the self-storage that tells them that something is wrong. And that is thanks to the, the monitoring from our center.
1: What if so, the power so, goes down? Is there a generator?
3: As we have an inverter on uh, all our sites. So there's like a battery operated when the power goes on. This we have learned uh, from our South African operation, where we have uh, lots of uh, problems with electricity. So that we have also kind of put into our Norwegian business. So we have inverters when things goes down, and it's super important.
1: Do you guys have different grades of, of for example, let's just say, you know, I have a client who has tremendous amount of paintings, et cetera, et cetera, and he wants to store them. Where you have something that's extremely, uh, you know, climate controlled, et cetera, and they pay a little bit of a premium because these paintings are, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Do you have different
3: Tiers. Yeah, we actually have uh, two centers in Oslo that are catering for more kind of the high-end stuff. So then, then it's a different kind of value proposition. It's not that it's close by. You know, it's a, the proposition is that it's it's very secure. Is the climate control is hundred percent, etc. We even have okay. one center that has some wine storage in it, similar kind of concept.
1: And what uh, level of premium would comes with that?
3: So it's actually probably too long. <laughs> so I would think that the premium is only 30%. Might very well be that it could have been 100%. So it's still early days for us. You know, we have we built into our platform that the, the, the pricing is auto-generated. So we, we start on a, a base level. It's like an Uber model. And as the occupancy goes up, the pricing goes up by itself. Uh, you know, which is something of course the property owners like because you you do sign onto a contract, which is uh, which is the same price also when the occupancy goes down. So uh, but it, it really works well and it's, it helps us to maintain uh, higher rates for the property owners. Okay. Uh, so I think we probably see that over time that those more attractive spaces will kind of go up in price by itself.
0: Gare, Andy, this sounds easy. I think that Roberto and I are going to just pool our money and buy a cheap, because we're realtors. We, fun, we know of like the good deals on real estate. So we think we're going to just put up a little steel building, throw up some cameras, uh, buy some technology and get in the self-storage business, because obviously it's booming. It looks easy. And I say that only somewhat facetious, because I was approached by, um, by a billionaire uh, who lives in Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, runs a big uh, financial firm in New York City, but he lives in Greenwich. And I said, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for a warehouse, sa- said, said his uh, assistant. Uh, he's looking for a warehouse. Well, what does he want to store? Well, he's not sure yet. But his insurance company is requiring him because he's splitting his time between Greenwich and his place in Florida and his place in the Hamptons, His insurance company is requiring him to put jewelry, art, whatever it is, uh, in storage and secure when he leaves town. So he thinks he's going to buy a warehouse. I showed him a couple of warehouses in this vicinity that he could buy for about a million dollars each. And you know what? They're in the worst sections of town. I mean, they're and they they are they are. Peeling paint and burst pipes and cracked concrete, and they are in the absolute worst parts of town. So I guess my conclusion is it's not so easy, but Roberto and I, we're smart. We're going to just buy, we're going to knock down that warehouse and we're going to put up a steel building with a steel roof and put some cameras up. Tell me about the barriers to entry for people who think that your industry is easy and it's a commodity.
3: So, so I just you know maybe you can do it after Andy, but I'd like to comment on that. So of course what we have found is that we have that has developed tremendously over those five years we've been operating. So in the start we really we really had to educate the, our property owners that uh, you know we could operate it for them, they did investment and, and we run it for them. But now, well when the pipeline is building, and I mean just in Norway, we open up 20 new sites next year. So it's like a a substantial kind of pipeline coming in. And and we think it has massive uh, potential over that. But uh, what we see now is that this is the commercial property funds that sit with hundreds of buildings, maybe 20% of those has problem issues. So now we kind of get pipeline by itself. And the reason we get it is that they don't need to do anything. So we do everything. They only get the benefits. And that now spills over to people like yourself, that actually want to invest and do purpose-built. So this, we have just started seeing that now. So it was not really our plan. Our plan was to go into multi-tenanted building, but now suddenly we have people like you that see this old warehouse and are calling us and ask us, can you operate this for me? Cause I actually just want to do the investment. And it's all connected because when we did our first partnership agreement in New York, so we are opening up in New York in February and, That partnership is with a relatively large self-storage company in New York, and I did a calculation on their existing sites. So when they are converting an existing site to our system, the saving on the opex is fifty percent, so 5 percent on opex savings. And you know, you know what that does to the yield. So it's uh, it's really a no-brainer. In Manhattan, in Manhattan. Yeah, Um, and on Long Island. Um, But what what is so fascinating is that uh, there is like a, a, a little window opportunity, I think, which is maybe five to 10 years before the whole industry is kind of gone digital. So those that are early on, they have this cost advantage and they can charge the same rates as all the others. They just have half of the OPEX. So there's like a, a thing right now. And I think, you know, maybe in the next 10 years, the prices will go down a bit. We could probably expect that, you know, as everyone takes out that efficiency. But uh, as it stands, it's an amazing opportunity those next 10 years, I would say.
1: So what about yeah. in Manhattan? There's all these B and C buildings along these side streets and the old-fashioned district and all that type of stuff. Are these buildings... In your mind, uh, candidates for a, like a complete conversion?
3: Yeah, or partly conversion. You know, it's, it doesn't need to be complete. It's you know, if you're like a good entrepreneur, you see that oh, we can put in five flats, and then you do the basement and a bit more and sell storage. Or you know, if you I don't know if you saw the, the sale of Manhattan mini storage uh, just over a year ago. I can't remember how many billions he sold for, but it was a but it was more than one. Um so it's uh, it's substantially self-storage companies in Manhattan and he ran that business the whole way. There is like five people working on every site, and you know, huge potential to be taken out where you could improve that yield even a lot more.
4: Wow. Andy, tell tell me, is it hard? Can I get in this business? I, I think I think you could invest in the business, and I think you'd do very well to do so because I think it's a, it's a very investable um, uh, commodity. But I, I think what we've seen, you know, we've just spent time. I spent time uh, in the the conference. The big players uh, have the scale, and the scale allows you to have good people. That means when you're in a a slightly more difficult environment, um, you're, you're able to you know, sort of be more resilient. I think if the the mom and pop operators, as I think you call them in the States where you have maybe one store or two stores. I think that they find it a lot more difficult. So I think, you know, knowing how to run the business, knowing what things to check, knowing things like, you know, Roberto there, you're saying about putting uh, expensive paintings in. I think the experience of us in the industry over the years knows that actually we wouldn't want you to put your expensive paintings in. And, and the main reason for that is actually somebody probably knows you're going to put your expensive paintings in, and that opens your building up to quite a big security risk. So when you're saying you know how you know we've we've got a big responsibility for for looking after people's goods, you know I could say to you, look, nothing is perfect. I can't say nothing would ever happen, but I can tell you your stuff will be a lot safer in self storage than it will be at home. You know there'll be a lot less chance of your family heirlooms something happens to them in self-storage and they will be in your own home and you know that's because of the experience we've got you know the, the number of sites we've we've managed the, the years of experience we've had you know learning from our mistakes so i think again it it does sound very easy um and i think once you've got the scale it, it's a lot easier but I, i'd say it's not easy <laughs> so hope that answered the question
0: so if if Uh, If I'm watching the show, or Roberto is watching the show, and we know of real estate in luxury markets that is underutilized, give me some of the metrics so that I can bring a deal to you. If In New Canaan, for example, I know that, which is where I'm sitting in the suburbs, I know that office space rents for $30 to $50 a foot. And I know that retail is $50 to $100 a foot in Greenwich, New Canaan, the better retail environment. And I know that I've got uh, some space. And I think of storage as sort of an $18 a foot, $20 a foot. I can purchase storage. If I can bring you an opportunity where I have uh, several thousand feet, and I think that there's a need for storage in this area, how do I identify uh, a likely candidate for self-storage and bring it to you uh, where you don't come say, no, nah, the economics don't work for that location. What kind of economics should I be looking for? And what kind of a location should I be
4: looking for? I think it goes back to that market rate. So, you know, we, we have the, the 23 sites in the UK and the highest rate, the square foot we get is probably three times in, in one store than it is in our lowest. So, it really is about how much does that building cost? Are you purchasing it or are you renting it? You know, if you're, if you're taking a lease on the building, then obviously, you know, as, as Gay will be able to tell you, you know, there's a point at which you say, well, you, you're better off renting it. You know, you're never gonna make enough from self storage to do it. And I'd say in the majority of cases, you will make enough from self storage to make things work. But it's, you know, if, if anything less than about 5,000 square feet is gonna be very difficult. But let's let's
0: let's say it's a million dollar building in Norwalk and it's 20,000 square feet. I mean, I can find several two hundred dollar a foot buildings in uh, near a luxury market. Would you come back and say, no, no, John, the cost of technology and the cost of of putting a new roof on that building and all that, you know, these are things you really doesn't work for an old cinder block building at a million dollars at two hundred dollars a foot we really need to find something that's um that you know for a new building we really need new building sites I mean talk to me about the economics of what makes a what makes a deal attractive and not attractive
4: well I think for what you just said I mean that to me a million dollars if you could get twenty thousand square feet seems quite cheap so I I would say that you know not knowing the actual area itself, not knowing the, 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 the you know, the, the demographic, you know, you'd have to look at that. But if you said you could get $20 a square foot per annum, plus then you've got ancillary cell, you know, insurance and everything else on top, you know, I'd say if you've got 20,000 square foot gross, you'd end up with 15,000 square foot of storage space. So, you know, if you could fill that at $20 a square foot, it's 300,000 a year, you know, it, it feels like there's a very quick return on there for you and and generally you know once you've added self-storage in there you would find that your million dollar building is worth considerably more than a million dollars now so you know in most cases like that you know gay you tell me from from your experience but certainly depending on the rate that you're likely to achieve um if it's in a very exclusive neighborhood um you know in the uk you're looking at 50 to 60 pounds a square foot in london so, you know, that, it's it's many multiples that you get in, in the suburbs. So, you know, in London, that building probably costs you £6 million. And then you've got a different, um, you know, it, but I think everything is a it's a fairly straightforward thing that you look at what rate you think you can achieve, you look at how much square foot you're going to get, and you look at, are there enough people to fill this building? You know, is the demand there? And generally in your exclusive neighbourhoods, I think the demand is there. But Gay, you, you yeah. Yeah, let me add to that, Andy, Because there's one thing that's also super interesting
3: in service storage. And that is that it's not obvious that you have a much higher rent in a good area. Yeah, normally, you have a bit higher rent, but it's not obvious because the competition could be stronger there, or it could be other things that they actually, you know, the density is smaller, no, it's higher, so it's, it's different. But what I find fascinating is that certain low-end areas, we have nearly the same rates as the high-end areas. And then you can end up buying a building for less than a third of the price and you have the same revenue. And then suddenly you have some yield development that is just incredible. So if you are like a, a bit of entrepreneurial, you don't operate it yourself, you use us or someone else that they can operate it very efficiently. And you just have the vision and the ability to do the investment and those uh, kind of uh, CapEx investments uh, from the start. And if that is type less than 30,000 square foot, You probably fill it up in less than three years. So you can plan to sell it in year four. And when you run the maths on those buildings, that is fascinating.
0: So in New York, what you're saying is that uh, the the self-storage rates in Queens might surprise me because they might be just as much as the self-storage rates in Manhattan.
3: Yeah, nearly.
0: Uh, I don't know this specifically, but that could absolutely happen. Wow. No, so it's, uh, it's, it's our job to find imbalance in the market. Where What you're saying is people are willing to travel a little bit further to a more sketchy neighborhood or a more industrial well, neighborhood. And I might, I just might be able to get the same kind of storage rates. So we should be well, bringing you deals. If we see a particularly good, uh, good candidate for self-storage, we should be bringing these to self-storage operators like yourself.
3: And you'll let us know whether the economics are going to work. That's right. And uh, I, th- I think it's not that the, the people come from the other side of the town to use the self-storage facilities in the less favorable neighborhoods. It's more that the, the ticket price of self-storage is not that high. So, so if the competition is in the way that the prices are relatively high, then everyone can kind of afford it. It doesn't really matter where you are. It's just that you would always choose the best right?
1: Seriously, I know this (laughs) really has nothing to do with it, in my opinion, but is the aesthetic of the building important in any way, shape, or form? Because sometimes in Manhattan, like up on 85th Street in Amsterdam, there's a building. It's a big, tall building. has no windows. It's just some self-storage building. Hmm. And then you go to some places, like, oh, there's a self-storage building. You're kind of thinking, is that – did they really have to put that there? It's just this boring cube just sitting there. Is curb appeal of this at all interesting?
3: or so, a component at all? So, so, you know, the traditional self-storage industry will say, yes, it is super important. And, and because they would use the aesthetic or like the look of the building as the most important marketing tool. So because uh, you build a huge building and you kind of uh, put all the kind of weird colors and everything else to get the attention, but what we see is that uh, in our model, we spend all those money on Google Ads instead. So people come to Google Ads, they come to our web page that is as streamlined as possible. And then when they come to the actual location for the first time, it must just be clean, like the outside. But we are in quite rough buildings um, from time to time. But when you open the gate, it always looks clinical, like in the background here. Yeah. Uh, so, But it's a different strategy. You know, the, the normal wreaths is what you see here on the screen. You know, it's big buildings that are branded. And then the mom and pop shops are these
0: garages. Yeah. We don't have the luxury in the cities of having just rows of garages. We have to go multi-story. And so I would imagine having the appropriate elevators and lifts mm-hmm. um, is probably um, a real challenge in the cities.
3: Yes, but you know, it's uh, when we are in multi-tenanted buildings, some of them doesn't have as big elevators than others, but we will tell the customer, you know, in the app experience that this is this is the size. And, and they would take that because it's better than having something on the other side of the town. So at what point is it just
0: not worth it where you're going to basically not uh, not get the demand? For instance, if I find you a million dollar building uh, in Manhattan and I say, see, it's cheap. The problem is uh, it's there's no elevator in the building and everybody has to walk up or it's a small elevator and you really only can, you know, accommodate one person and her, and her, her boxes you know at a time. You might hmm. come back to me and say, "No, that that takes out half of my half of my market." You know, I need hmm. people who can bring a large painting
3: or a large object. Yeah, yeah. No, and our general uh, feeling is that you should be able to fit a double bed in the elevator. A double bed yeah. in the elevator. Okay, that's yeah. a critical piece of the equation. <laughs> so that's like uh, what we have, and then we have, you know, we have very clear space you know, on what we need on the the height and uh, yeah, and how it's designed. You know, if it's also a very kind of awkward area, the utilization goes down. So uh, when we get the drawings, we have a, a very clear process when people are sending us the, the leads. You know, we get probably, uh, say, 10 property owners every day that contacts us with uh, potential properties. And uh, by just looking at the drawings, we will say, no, thank you to 8 out of 10. And 2 out of 10, we evaluate. And then we do drawings on 1 out of 10. So, so it's absolutely not like it's not like everything works. But uh, some of the stuff works really well.
0: Is it an amenity in some of the luxury markets that is differentiating one building versus one developer versus another? Their ability to offer secure self-storage, almost like having a hotel offering a safe. Uh, Now, these buildings that are offering $3,000 a foot apartments have to be able to offer secure insured self-storage
3: yes well uh, that's not the case today but uh, we do like an interesting project that uh, kind of like waterfront development in oslo and where we convert uh, basement parking into self-storage and that will be you know directly accessible from the uh, i don't know i mean it's a big number of the flats and commercial real estate around the And that will, you know, work essentially as a expansion of your home. You can take the elevator down and just drop your stuff.
1: But is the, is the storage of more value than the parking? Like in Manhattan? Parking uh,
3: premium. Yes. Like in Oslo, they have, uh, they had very strict parking, you know, parking development regulations earlier. So you had to develop a lot of parking and today, it has been under uh, under the green uh, politics for about uh, eight years. So uh, it's very expensive to drive in town. Uh, so people are using public transport. So there's a lot less cars. So that's why it certainly has been a change. So Yeah, and I, I would expect that to happen in many European cities because that's what most city admins want to know. They want less cars in town. People use yeah. public transport. And then you're stuck with uh, these old town planning decisions with all the parkage. Oyvind, you,
0: you mentioned earlier disruption. And specifically, you said, most notably, clutter. And it didn't turn out as expected. What did you mean? Tell me the story of disruption and clutter. And why, why, why is it important?
2: I think that's a question that uh, Geir could uh, answer better
3: than me. I'll do that. No, so so Claire was a really, you know, big talk about upstart in the US. They raised about $300 million to start off with. And they were going to revolutionize the self-storage industry. And their most famous marketing, which was on all the subways in New York, is that no more self-storage. And their angle was that they were going to pick up all your things at home. And then they will store it outside the city at a cheaper location. Well, that sounds, in my view, that sounds really good for a consumer. That sounds actually fantastic for a consumer. That is like a valet system. You just, in your app, you just request your skis and they arrive on the door. That's fantastic. But I know what the salaries are in the US. So I couldn't get this to fit. It's like, how can you use a commodity like storage? I mean, we are pretty good at optimizing the storage space. So it's cheap storage for the consumer. So you don't. The, the ability to pay is not high. And now you're going to throw in free delivery as often as you want. So, so that essentially didn't work. So that it was uh, sold to Black Mountain now for, I think, $20 million or something like that.
0: Amazon
3: uh, should get in that business. Every
0: time they drop a box off on my doorstep, <laughs> they need to take a box away and store <laughs> it for me because I'm running out of space with all these Amazon boxes.
3: <laughs> okay, okay. But anyway, so so I think in like a flexi store when we are now closer to where the people lives, that is maybe something in the middle. You know, you can uh, in in also actually one third of our customers walk to the storage, and as you know, when I tell an American that's the case, you know they don't believe me. But that that could be in Manhattan as well. I think you know similar environment. <laughs> Have you found that Amazon
0: has changed the self-storage business now that we're all one click away from getting more stuff delivered to the house? Is that one of the reasons that self-storage has exploded and will continue to explode for the foreseeable future? We just have um, everything we could want is just a click away. And that's why we're consuming more stuff.
3: No, I think that's a huge factor. I mean we have we have customers and we see that you know on the, how they share the keys so they share the keys with a courier company from Amazon so people can deliver what they have just bought new into storage so it uh it doesn't stop surprising me obviously.
0: what kind of things do they have um Amazon deliver or the courier deliver? It occurs to me that's it that it never. I love that idea. You're saying that before I get to the beach house, I can have Amazon deliver all the food and all the drinks and uh, the plastic and, uh, you know, the plates and everything for the party I'm going to throw this weekend and all the supplies I need for the party I'm going to throw just arrives in my self-storage unit automatically.
3: Wow, how many people
0: are doing this?
3: This oh, is... it, it's it's a new thing, and I don't know why. I, I don't think they do your kind of uh, your idea. I, I I don't actually I don't know. I just see that uh, they share you that some and I thought that was quite strange. You know, when you when you buy more stuff, you must at least use it. I was thinking, but maybe it's exactly what you're saying, John. You know, maybe they just have it uh, on in prim storage. Yeah. Wow. Um...
0: Have you guys
1: seen the George Carlin thing about stuff?
0: No, no. I'm going to
1: send it to you. It's, uh, it's about stuff. You bring your stuff and then you got to go somewhere else to get a little bit less of your stuff and then stuff. And it's just this, it's an unbelievable thing, but it's just <laughs> with the storage, it reminds me. So, so it seems to me that the building blocks to like living a luxury life is really storage.
0: Absolutely. Now, talk to me about the difference between Europe and the US and maybe South Africa. You're in the South African. When does the self-storage model uh, need to be tweaked and adjusted, or are we all the same? Me or Andy?
3: Either. Whoever's inspired. I'll I'll stop. You can continue. So, you know, so we started off a norwegian base, but I'm based in South Africa, so that's the strange thing of expanding the the second country to South Africa is because I'm just based there but it was a Norwegian business and you know we operate on Norwegian principles and we think that is the normal thing coming to South Africa different security issues than Scandinavia so here it was very important that when the the landlords that we work with has on-site securities we don't need to pay for that so that's like a a commonality so we can only be in a in a good security areas and so forth so there's like their own kind of specialization and it's is very much a bubble society where you know, it's very different one area to another, similar to the US. In Norway, a lot less So it's not so important what area you're in. It's, uh, it doesn't really have uh, issues. Um, and and the demographic in South Africa is like, you know if you're on that side of the railway track, you go to a certain type of storage. If you're on the other side of the railway track, you have a much nicer storage. Uh, I think we'll have exactly that thing in the US as well, and you see that development in the US of the REITs that has developed an amazing amount of these high end buildings, you know, built like hotels. Uh, And that says a lot about uh, what people are interested in paying for storage it's you know because they are safe uh, and that's very important for them, and I think there's a catch up still happening in the, in Europe. So, of course, we are disrupting a bit, coming into multi-tenanted properties. But at the same time, I think big box development is coming to Europe as well. Maybe a little bit more efficient than what you do in the US, but the, the principle of developing big box self-storage has in no way died. It's a, It's coming big time, but we have a I mean, there's a huge gap for us to come up on the level of storage which they have, which you have in the US. You know, like 10% of the population uses storage, and think in the UK it's just uh, under 4% if I'm not mistaken, and in yeah. Scandinavia it's like two and a half percent. So there's a big catch-up, and uh, and and that will be a, a mix of these things. You know, and what do you
4: think? no i agree i think that the, stat that was today at the at conference was that there's been 11 growth uh in europe for the last 10 years so you know 7 per annum so it, it's still growing i think it's there's a lot less storage in europe than there is in the states um but that said when i went to the states for so the conference over there last year there were new sites popping up on every corner so you know it seems that even in the States, there's still a long way to go. And I think, you know, it is the, uh, you keep building them because people keep using them. And, uh, you know, I guess when people stop using them, we'll stop building them. But I don't <laughs> think we're anywhere near that for a, a long time yet. And, um, you know, and the
3: interesting uh, with these markets. So, like, you know, we have 10% growth in Europe, which is fantastic. But it's from a level that just over 3% or just under 3% use storage. In the U.S., 10% of the population use storage there's like 35 million storage customers and they still increase with 3.5% a year. It's a huge number when you measure the square meter or square foot going into that. So I think, it's, is there maybe a similar growth uh, per capita? Yeah, probably. Hmm. Well,
0: So, Oyvind, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, you want to tell me one cool thing you learned in this hour or one cool thing you saw in Rotterdam at the great big... Self storage convention.
2: You can just uh, look behind me here because uh, you see now they are preparing for the uh, annual uh, awards uh, industry awards awards. You know, sure. So, uh, this doesn't stay back from uh, from the luxury events that we are uh, we joined in uh, Christie's, you know, or in Douglas Elliman or in uh, Brown Harry Stevens. So what I learned that the first thing I heard on the on the stage here uh, yesterday you hear me yes yeah yeah um was that the uh, self storage never fail so they <laughs> say that the uh, no self storage location are um are losing money so, wow i don't know
4: but and you, it, never it, see, it's, it's great, you never see it's like a, a self storage location
2: closing down it just yeah, continues exactly Exactly. So wow. that's what uh, I, I, I knew that from before, but I, I learned that. So I'm, I'm happy that you wanted to join me, uh, everybody, here in um, Rotterdam. And uh, next time, maybe London or maybe South Africa. Let's see.
0: <laughs> I, I think what I learned that was most exciting, I always knew that if I could find a piece a cheap piece of land, self-storage made sense. What's exciting to me is that you're able to repurpose existing buildings, existing real estate, and through technology, AI, security, cameras, uh, digital access. You're able to rent, take labor out of, the market, out of the model, make more efficient, repurpose buildings, and reuse space that otherwise would go empty. That to me is the most exciting thing. I always knew I could buy a self-storage location in a lousy part of town, but nobody wants to be in a lousy part of town. Nobody wants to be the first in a lousy part of town. Everybody wants to figure out how they can get their storage close to them in a nice part of town. And you guys are telling me that that's now possible with tech through technology. And that's the most exciting thing I've heard all, 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 all hour. Uh, and that brings us sort of to the conclusion of this uh, of this episode one fourteen of Burrs and Burbs. I want to remind everybody to go and give us a positive review. Tell your friends. I want you to like us. I want you to follow us. I want you to subscribe to us. Share with us because that's how we grow and that's how come we're getting probably four thousand people every week uh, watching the video and uh, probably equally uh, equal number uh, listening to the podcast. So uh let everybody know tell all your friends thanks roberto thank you guys Parting words
1: just lo- like i said i think it's the building blocks of a luxury life Absolutely, and there's a lot of growth potential which i'm actually I- i'm I- i'm stunned by so i'm interested i gotta say <laughs>
0: So there's Self Storage and Real Estate episode 114. Andy Egerton of Ready Steady Store. You can find him on LinkedIn. And Gare Telfson of Flexa Store. You can find him also on LinkedIn. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you around. Bye bye. Bye bye.